0: You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion Series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, The Plan to Deceive. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, As far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So what things did they hear? They heard how the Israelites, led by Joshua, had crossed the Jordan on dry ground, defeated Jericho, and then Ai. Because of this threat on their doorstep, these kings banded together, hoping that with their greater numbers they stood a chance against Israel and its God. But another group of people, dwelling in four cities of the Hivites, who heard the same news, took another approach. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended, They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old shoes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Gibeon of the Hivites and Horites was only about seven miles from the area of Ai. Even though it was a strong city with capable fighting men, they understood they had no hope of winning against this god, so they resort to deception and outright lies. Verses seven to fifteen, investigation and treaty. They investigate. The Israelites said to the Hivites, "But perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you?" "We are your servants," they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked. Who are you and where do you come from they answered your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the lord your god for we have heard reports of him all that he did in egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the amorites east of the jordan Sihon king of heshbon and og king of bashan who reigned in ashtaroth so they know they are not to make covenants with the people of canaan and understand they can be duped so they ask questions and they had asked two questions who are you and where do you come from they don't answer who they are and only answer where they are from vaguely never naming their country and only describing it as very distant they change the subject quickly and speak favorably about the God of Israel saying they've heard of his fame Many people will read the room and try to ingratiate themselves to others by speaking with phrases that they know will be well received. Notice that even in ancient times word travelled quickly. They knew what God had done for them way back in Egypt 40 years earlier and the military victories God gave them on the other side of the Jordan. They also know about Jericho and Ai but cannot mention them since they are very recent and local and on the west side of the Jordan and revealing this knowledge would prove they were lying. So hearing this should have encouraged the Israelites again to see how God had placed a supernatural fear of them into the people of Canaan and also how God's power and glory were being spoken about throughout the known world. They refer to themselves as servants implying that this would not be a covenant between equals, but between a greater and a lesser power. They continue, And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. They pass themselves off as ambassadors or envoys of their country. Then they present proof that they've been journeying long, old and worn out food and clothing. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are, and our clothes and sandals are worn out by a very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. So compare their appearance to Israel's who traveled for 40 years and their clothes and sandals didn't wear out because they were preserved by God. And notice how one lie leads to another and another? The evidence seemed to verify their words. They never stopped to ask why they didn't purchase fresh food along the way. They trusted the evidence presented to their senses, but didn't stop to pray about it, and it led to this hasty decision with lasting consequences. This was a failure of both Joshua and the elders. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So a treaty was an agreement between two people groups, but it was the oath given in the name of the Lord that made it solemn and unbreakable. I think it's uh, funny that they actually tasted the moldy bread. Verses 16 through 19, the deception uncovered. Since they actually live nearby, it doesn't take long to find out the truth. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephara, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. So there were four cities of inhabitants that were included in this ruse but as much as their mandate from god had been to attack and destroy every place in canaan when the lord your god brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations the hittites girgashites amorites canaanites perizzites hivites and jebusites seven nations larger and stronger than you And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally, make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy. So there was an exception for peace with cities outside of the territory of Canaan, which they assumed these people were from. Now they had to exclude the people from these cities because they had made an oath, and they couldn't go back on their word according to the commandment of God in Numbers 30. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. The people were not happy about this turn of events and knew it was because of a poor decision by the leaders. They may have hoped it could be undone, but the leaders reaffirmed that an oath taken in God's name must be honored, even if it hurts. Psalm fifteen four says The Lord honors him who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Verses twenty and twenty one Plan B This is what we will do to them. We will let them live, so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. So, as God instructed for cities outside of Canaan that were not under the ban, they could offer peace to those cities if they surrendered, um, and if they surrendered, they would be put to forced labor. The Gibeonites had surrendered in a backhanded way, so Joshua applied this law to them as a punishment that still maintained their promise to them, but made them suffer for their deceit. Verses 22-27 to 27, The Interrogation and Judgment Joshua knew he had been deceived but now he wanted to know why, although he didn't wait for their answer or excuse before condemning them. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, "'Why did you deceive us by saying, "'We live a long way from you, "'while actually you live near us? "'You are now under a curse. "'You will never be released from service "'as woodcutters and water carriers "'for the house of my God.' They answered Joshua, "'Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So not only did they hear about the victories of Israel's God in Egypt and on the other side of the Jordan, they also knew about the mandate of God through Moses to give them the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants. They had seen it already and feared they were next. Their desire for self-preservation led them to take a chance that Israel could be tricked, and they were. But now that they were discovered, they didn't know what Josh, that Joshua would honor the treaty. They knew they were at their mercy, so they submitted to whatever fate Israel decreed. Slavery within the nation of Israel was preferable to death by Israel. So when they first approached them, they even referred to themselves as your servants. Now they would be. They were foreigners in this uh, this category even before the time of Moses. Uh, In Deuteronomy 20, 10 and 11, he said, All of you standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel together with your children and your wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. So they are described as saved by Joshua, because he had mercy on them and did not destroy them as they deserved. And one would hope that this meant they would leave their idolatry, but they may very well have influenced Israel in this way. So these Canaanites that were cursed could be part of the original Cursed Be Canaan spoken by Noah. Later, Gibeon would become part of the territory of the tribe of Benjamin and a Levitical city. They would continue in this capacity for many years, Nehemiah would have some help from Gibeonites in rebuilding the walls of Jericho, of, sorry, of Jerusalem. Um, yet they would not be servants of all Israel, but would serve in the temple. Their role would be as servants who provided for the needs of the altar in the yet unnamed place. That would be first Bethel, then Shiloh, and then finally Jerusalem. Jerusalem. During the time of King Saul, many Gibeonites would be killed, and God would call them to account for the breach of this treaty and solemn oath. In 2 Samuel 21, 1-14, God sends a three-year famine during the reign of David, and he reveals the cause, and the Gibeonites propose a solution. Um, An interesting historical fact, the ancient city of Gibeon has been excavated by archaeologists and a large well has been unearthed which descends through solid rock to a depth of 82 feet and at the bottom is a tunnel 180 feet long which taps into an underground spring and it is still visible today. David Firth says the book of Joshua answers the question, who are the people of God? On the surface one would say Israel. The nation God called through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and whom he redeemed from slavery in Egypt, led through the wilderness, and to whom he gave his law. But then in this book we know that there are sojourners who came with them from Egypt who were not ethnically from Israel. Then we saw that Rahab, a Canaanite, was included into the family of God and community of Israel because of faith and obedience, while Achan, an Israelite, was excluded and killed for unfaithfulness and disobedience. But what are we to make of the Gibeonites? They are not actively seeking to be part of Israel and likely don't know much about Israel's God other than his power. They don't articulate the kind of faith we saw in Rahab, whose fear made her acknowledge the greatness of God. But they are not actively opposed to him in Israel, unlike the other city-states that were preparing to war with them. Jesus once said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and for whoever is not against us is for us, which on the surface sound like they mean the same thing, but the first statement relates to excluding those who don't join with his purposes, and the second includes those who do not oppose him. So we could say that the Gibeonites were included and perhaps in time they came to love and obey the God of Israel. So while some see the book of Joshua only in terms of the conquest of the land and the destruction of its people, in these instances we see God reaching out to other peoples and drawing them in while disciplining and shaping his own people, Israel. So this inclusion is throughout scripture and it reaches its its climax in the New Testament when the inclusion of the Gentiles begins in earnest. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? When the surrounding nations and city-states heard what God had done, some respond with hostility, others with contrition. Even though it was insincere, they did it to save their lives. There are different responses to the claims of Jesus. The same sun softens wax and hardens clay. Though some of these city-states may have been at, at enmity with each other, now they are united against their common enemy, Israel. Herod and Pilate and the religious leaders didn't agree on much, but they were united in their opposition to Jesus. Positively, the church needs to stop fighting each other and unite against its enemies. So this poor decision was made by the leaders of Israel because they trusted their eyes and ears instead of consulting God in prayer. We need to pray about everything and commit our ways to God and live by faith, not by sight. The sad fact is that like Joshua and the elders of Israel, many Christians can withstand direct assaults but don't have the sense to detect deception and that is why in the book of Revelation Satan uses both tactics he has the beast and the false prophet Paul warns the Ephesian elders about rapacious wolves who will come in and others who will arise from among them to distort the truth while their deception and lies are not commendable we must not do evil that good may result their wisdom in understanding they could not fight against God and should appeal to his representatives for mercy. Teach that sometimes unsaved people show wisdom. Jesus told a parable about a dishonest manager and drew the application that people of this world are shrewd and know how to manipulate circumstances in their favor. And that is what the Gibeonites did here. The Gibeonites feared the wrath of God. Fear of divine wrath is a powerful motivator to, for many to be saved. I know it was for me. While Joshua was duped into showing mercy, Jesus knows us and extends mercy to us because of his goodness. His grace is greater than our sin. The Gibeonites spoke favorably of God in order to influence the Israelites. They may have had a healthy fear of God's wrath, if not true admiration for his fame, as they claimed. This may also have been flattery which Paul describes as deceitful. Sometimes people preach the gospel with wrong motives, but Paul chose to rejoice that the gospel was being preached even with wrong motives. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, as the Puritans would say. But we are not to use flattery. It didn't take long before their deception was uncovered. Joshua had said, You may be sure that your sin will find you out. One day everything will be laid bare. The truth was discovered on the third day. Jesus said he would rise on the third day. If it was true, it would be proven then. And it was. The Gibeonites preferred slavery to death knowing they were under the sentence of death. Believers in Jesus Christ choose to be his willing servants knowing we have escaped the second death. The Gibeonites were sentenced to care for the needs of the altar and house of God. Any work is honorable when it is done for the Lord and not for men. The leaders made a poor decision but stood by it because they had made an oath. Leaders are held to a stricter standard. We must be honest in all our dealings with both believers and unbelievers. If we give our word, we must keep our word. The leaders did not cast them out because Joshua had saved them. When we come to Jesus, he doesn't drive us away because he has saved us and he will keep us. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Joshua chapter 10. May God bless the study of his word.